Hey everyone, before we begin today's show, we just wanted to remind you that Dr. Ben's new book, Designed to Heal, is out and available for purchase. To book Dr. Ben for speaking engagements or to purchase the book, visit drbenrall.com. That's D-R-B-E-N-R-A-L-L.com. Now, Designed to Heal. I'm Dr. Ben Rall. Do you know where the most amazing doctor lives? You may be surprised to learn that it's actually right inside of you. Yet, today's healthcare model is built on a foundation that the greatest doctor instead comes in the form of pills, potions, lotions, even surgery. So listen in, because what if the majority of what you have been told about health and healing is not only wrong, but actually harmful to you? One thing is for sure, when you work with your body and not against it, you'll begin to discover that you are in fact designed to heal. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Design to Heal. We are so excited for today's guest. I am not exaggerating when I say that we have been working on this interview for almost a couple of years. Uh, COVID got weird and and uh, just timing and, and uh, a new book that was coming out, but we are so lucky and blessed to have Dr. Carolyn Leaf with us on today. Many of you, she was one of, we did a survey uh, a couple of years ago and we asked for just a uh, guest that kind of dream guests people love to have on the show and she topped the list. And so we are so excited. I've read many of her books. She has a new one coming out, which we're going to talk about today. Uh, that's going to be such a blessing for you. But if you, for those of you that don't know Dr. Carolyn, I'm going to just give a little bit of a, a background here for you. She's a communication pathologist, audiologist, clinical and cognitive neuroscientist specializing in psychoneurobiology and metacognitive neuropsychology. Um, she's amazing. And I, I mean, I could go on and on and she's going to, we're going to talk about her new book today um, about helping your child clean up their mental messes, but we are so excited. I know this is going to be such a blessing. So doc, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. I really, I feel very honored. Thank you. Well, being you know, as a as a holistic doctor and a and a healthcare practitioner, so as a chiropractor, a lot of your concepts for us we love because it's you know the brain can heal and the nerve system and all these things. But you really uh, have done such a, a, a you know a work that was so important to be done because so many times in that world it seems like it's just pills and diagnosis and labels. And what we've seen this massive uptick in the last few years, especially with the COVID times and all this, where you're, it, it, not a day goes by, Doc, where you don't hear something like a suicides are up, depression is up, anxiety is up, all these things. And I know that is near and dear to your heart, especially with kiddos. Will you give us, first of all, a little background about you, hit the big things that I, you know, I want people to know some of your work and how to, how to learn about you, but also I want to dive right into your, to your work and your passion. Thank you so much. Yeah, it, it, this, I appreciate that. My passion for the past 38 years, um, I've been in the field quite a long time, um, has been to really try and understand the mind-brain-body connection, so psychoneurobiology. So I'm also, my field of study is psychoneurobiology, and I still do clinical trials and research. We've got big studies currently running. I publish in journals. And the reason I do all of that, I don't practice anymore. Dr. Ben, I practiced for 25 years, but I've gone heavily now into doing the research and writing books and mm. getting um, getting to a point where mental health is accessible and affordable for everyone. And just countering what has been going on in the mental health world, which has been a mixture of, of you know, there's always good and there's always bad, but there's, you know, there's a really there's a really big concern uh, in the world of mental health that that is some, something we could you know sort of dive into about why we sit with, sitting with such a crisis and what we can do. So yeah, but that's my background. Um, I started out um, as I said in clinical practice, and I, I have 
multiple degrees in the area, still do clinical trials. But I was challenged about 38, probably 38 years ago by one of my neuroscience professors. He was giving a whole lecture on the, the, the science, you know, how the brain works. And it was one of the, basically in the 80s, they didn't believe that the brain could change. Mm. And long story short, that did not sound right because we are constantly as humans, constantly changing and and if the organ is of the brain is what the mind is actually using our mind is constantly our mind is how we experience life so therefore and the mind then uses the brain and it's the interaction between the mind and the brain and the body that enables us to, to be an alive human being and i know you understand that a lot with your holistic approach and I remember saying, hey, but this can't be right. The brain must be changing because the mind is changing because life is changing. And so long story short, he said, well, go do the research. And I said, absolutely, what area? And he actually said, why don't you try closed head injury, which is traumatic brain injury? Mm. And the reason he said that is because there was just very little research at that time on on that area because their belief was, well, if the brain can't change, you know, why bother researching it? So it was kind of almost like a little bit of a sarcastic comment from the professor because I was daring to challenge mm. as a female in science at that time. So but I went ahead and I didn't even pick up any, any of that. And I just went ahead as, as a scientist, as a student scientist and started researching and long story short, fast forward 38 years, I, I did some of the first neuroplasticity research in my field and pretty much in the world at the time because there was you know, it was such a new area of research, only really in the mid-90s that with the advent of the MRI, te- MRI technology that they understood that the brain could change and being the aspect of neuroplasticity because we could see that, you know, once you could see the changes in the brain and happening real time, people really got it. Now it's an accepted fact. We all like, we hear about neuroplasticity all right. the time. The interesting thing, though, is that with neuroplasticity is that it doesn't just happen. Your brain doesn't just change. If, you, if you're dead, your brain's doing nothing. It's disintegrating. But every moment you're alive, your brain's actually changing. And that's what's very, very key in this is that your brain is changing because you're alive. And you're alive because you have a mind. Your mind is your aliveness. So key in all of my work is understanding, okay, well, if the brain can change and the mind's the thing doing the changing, what are thoughts, what are emotions, what is mental health? How can we, you know, what level of control do we have? How can we be empowered to develop the skills to manage our mind and all that kind of thing? So fast forward to now again, I have many years of experience, developed systems, theories, um, and practical you know, tools and techniques to help people to manage mental health from all aspects. So this is so one of the things that was profound when I first read your work, and I want to maybe start here, and, and I really want to talk about kids today because it's so important. I'm a dad. I have a 16-year-old yeah. and a 13-year-old. Now, of course, we joke about teenagers, and we joke about you know these things, but but I don't know. And then being in practice, I'm still in practice. So I see patients every day and I've, it's very real what parents are talking to me about and the concerns and struggles they have with kids. So, and you have some very practical, powerful tools that I really want to help our parents have today. But I remember when I, the first kind of, when I got exposed to your work years ago, um, and this idea of, of brain, of, of trees, right? Brain trees and how branches and, and how this brain works. And cause I think people think some of this is like, um, what's the word, but like, it's like imaginary, right? Like, like it's not biological, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's very real. And, and can you take a few minutes and just explain 
that, I don't even want to call it a concept, but that truth about how that works in the brain. Cause I think that'll get things clicking for people that say, oh, wow. Cause sometimes in order to believe, I don't know if this is true, you're, you're the expert, but sometimes in order to get the change, you almost have to believe the change is possible. Uh, you know, that's hope. And if you don't have that, then you won't even bother trying. And so do you mind just giving us the 101 on some of your earlier work with how that works biologically or, or you know, neurobiologically, and then we'll get into the, to the, to the kiddos. Okay, absolutely. It's a great question. It's a great place to start. And so basically, we think of it like this mind, brain, body. We've got three parts, and that's our psycho neurobiology, psycho mind, neurobrain, biology, body. And these three work together. They're separate, but they absolutely inter interrelated and interact. And it's the relationship between them that is that is so vitally important. So the simplest way to understand this is that when we experience something, which is from the moment we open our eyes till the moment we go to sleep, from when we're born, even in the womb at the last sort of stages, we are converting life via our mind into our brain, into our mind and our brain and our body. So our mind is processing and our mind is building and our mind is storing. And so it's doing three things, processing, building and storing. And it's also processing, building and storing in the, the realm of the brain and in the body. So that means that every experience we have is a, a whole lot of memories that cluster together to form a thought. And those thoughts look like three, they, they take on three different shapes in the mind-brain-body connection. And this is happening all the time. As, as we're speaking now, this is happening. In the mind, it's, it's a series of electromagnetic light waves, gravitational fields, um, auditory sound waves. So it's basically all these sort of energetic fields that are the things that drive our cell phone to give people some sort of an analogy to understand, you know, that this is not woo-woo. This yeah. is real hardcore science. And it, um, then we have in our brain, this energy, as it goes into the brain, it stimulates the brain to respond on an electromagnetic level, a chemical level, and a genetic level. And it's like waves of energy, like waves of the sea that are passing from the mind, through the mind, into the brain. And these waves then stimulate this response on the, in the brain in, in this genetic way, electromagnetic way, and, and chemical way with all the neurochemicals. And that combination, if you think of, like, as I said, waves of the sea, the energy of the waves of the sea, pushing the wave up and crashing on the beach is a great analogy for what life is doing inside of us as you this conversation now is this bunch of waves of energy that are coming from my voice and your our conversation through the sound through the sound waves literally your mind grabs this processes it through the energy of the mind into the brain as these waves and you have this response so the brain as the as the wave crashes on the beach it creates a genetic response and just bear with me here, but these, the genetic response makes pro amino acids which group together to form proteins, and then they grow. So they, they're growing like little branches, and it's very fast. It's happening at, I don't know, we estimate somewhere between 400 billion actions per second and 10 to the 27, mm. which is incredibly fast. So we convert this what we hear and see and feel and experience into these little um, vibrations inside proteins that group together to grow little branches and cluster together to form trees. And the stuff that we're building is, is the memory of the experience. 
So it's all the details, details of the memories. So memories don't just randomly build, they mm. cluster together. There's this conversation about mental health. You'll be building a mental health tree of the conversation we talk between Dr. Ben and Dr. Caroline. And everything that you and I say is going into the root, is is, uh, is going in, in this way I've just described and forming the roots. And then the unique way that each person who's listening is processing this is process is, is basically the tree trunks to give you visual analogies. So that the root system, everyone's kind of building the same root system because that's our conversation it's the source it's the origin of this experience the tree trunk is how each person uniquely thinks feels and chooses about this information and therefore the branches are the unique interpretation of each person of this conversation so the branches will be different for everyone the root system will be the same sort of information that looks slightly different in everyone's brain but the branches will look radically different no two sets of branches will be the same so the branches on the on the, the tree all made of proteins and chemicals inside the brain are our interpretation of each, each experience and the doors on existing experiences so there's trillions of these thought trees made of memories in the brain and as, as i'm as i am talking now and as we're having this conversation a lot of these trees are moving from the non-conscious mind the most intelligent part of us or deep spiritual nature through the subconscious which is a doorway or a portal mm. into the conscious mind which is awake when you're awake and it's coming up and down up and down so we use existing thought networks which look like trees to help us understand incoming information like this conversation and then you build a new thought network or it's added to an existing one that's of similar and similar nature and so that's the tree concept at the same time as this is happening the brain sends a signal to every other cell of the body well the mind and brain the brain can't do anything without the mind so the mind just think of the mind as the firepower the aliveness that makes the brain work makes the heart work makes the body work etc so as it's building in the mind as, as these energy waves and the brain as these tree network things that i've just described it's also this, this conversation is also building into every cell of your body. So it's embodied in what we call the cytoskeleton of the cell, which is also made of special proteins. So in other words, I know this is a lot to yeah. process, but every experience is embodied. And now if it's a healthy, happy experience, that is going to create a great pattern in the mind-brain-body network and will show up in our lives as, you know, being emo- as in in emotions that are healthy and bodily responses that are healthy and behaviors that are are healthy and perspectives on life that are healthy if however it's a toxic experience like maybe isolation during covid or bullying at school a combination of factors of maybe relationship issues or financial issues or parents getting divorced affecting a child or whatever it may be each of those experiences scrolling social media and looking at everyone else's life all of all of those things Mm. everything from the time you open your eyes looking at your emails all of that is going through this process I've described and building into your brain as these networks in your body, as these changes in the cytoskeleton and as these changes in the networks of the brain. And it's a constant ongoing dynamic process because each time you look at that social media and do that social media scroll, you add more information to that body image tree network that says you're not good enough or whatever it may be, the extra, yeah. the next incident of bullying, the next fight that your parents have, each it's just being added in this way. And what the beauty of this whole psychoneurobiological network thing that I've just described is that we as humans are, are able to actually stand back and observe the these networks that are in our brain and in our cells 
and in our mind as these energy things and we can go stand back and we can observe them and we can actually change them and it's a skill that we need to develop it's a skill we can teach our children as young as two i've taught my my four adult children learned this as young as two my youngest patients in my practice were two and three years of age so this is a basic mind management skill that's a lifestyle that you'll need from now for the rest of your life your mind is always working it never stops but if you don't manage it it can become very very messy for too long and that can tip the scales in into the wrong direction and work kind of work against you and in, in a very erratic way so we can become much more directed so the whole some and, and i'll stop there and you can dive yeah. into more detail but the whole kind of overarching perspective is of this tree concept is that these trees how they build and the and is i have studied intensively and developed systems for, for you to recognize what experiences have done in your psychoneurobiology how to recognize this impact then how to reverse engineer yeah. what's happened in and so you can't change what's happening to you, but you can change what it looks like in your psychoneurobiological networks, and therefore how it plays out into your future. That and that is and that is a you know <laughs> a really scientific way of describing to me hope and healing, right? I mean, it's it's exciting because it says, hey, there's like you said, there's something that can be done. I mean, you know, there's there's oversimplifications of the idea you you talked about a little bit of you know garbage in garbage out or of course being careful what we're exposing ourselves to it must not have been a surprise to you during the COVID times when you saw what was happening you went oh my gosh knowing what you know just about humans and how we interpret things this was going you probably saw this from day one where hey you can't scare a whole bunch of people lock them all down you know all the things isolate people all of the trauma and the fear like it, it was going to show up and i think we went into into that time even not necessarily doing well and this was just gas on the fire I don't want to, to to spend too much time on that because we're living it. I do want to talk about some of these solutions um, because, like you said, it's so important. And I, one of the words that you used in some of the materials that I was reading about was helping our kids become resilient. Helping, uh, And I mean, again, you can apply any of this to yourself, but I do want to talk about the kiddos today. So what can you start us down this road a little bit of, of, of and again, you're the expert here, so take it however you want. You think the easiest way for us to understand this our kiddos are struggling because here's what I don't ever want a person to, to think. Now, I believe in treating things holistically and caring for people holistically. So um, what I'm not talking about is, but but please don't misunderstand that as that I don't believe kids aren't suffering. When I say that I don't necessarily think that drugs are the only answer, I'm not saying that I don't think it's real. I'm saying I don't think that 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 we still have to get to the cause of the problem. The kiddos are struggling. Adults are struggling. A lot of people are struggling with quote, mental health. So will you... Give us your perspective on kiddos and then some, like you said, managing the mind. How, what are some, some tools? I'm not asking the doctor over the airwaves. I, that's not what this is, but we're asking, you know, is as an expert that sees us, what are some very real things we can do to help our kids manage their mind? Um, excellent question. And it's got a couple of parts to it. So yeah. if I can break that, that down, the first thing that I think we should as parents and adults and for helping ourselves, helping our children, helping our loved ones recognize is that, Challenges are not new. So every generation is going through something. Every year, of every since the beginning of human history, there's something going on. And so change and challenge is not new. What is necessary is to help us manage the challenge. And I'm, if you just look at this thing historically and philosophically, what we've done in the last 40 years is shift how we actually manage 
humans, human behavior, um, ourselves, other, and how we view humans. So with the advances in brain technology, and I've watched this in mean, the last 40 years has been very, very massive, very, very informative in terms of massive advances in how to understand the brain. And with that understanding of the brain has come tremendous um, advance. But at the same time, there's been almost like a going backwards. And that can happen very often. If you track history and track science of history and all that kind of stuff, you see this happening. Maybe advance in some things, but go backward in others. So we've become so consumed by the brain that we've become neuroreductionistic. And in that process, you know, with fMRI technology and all these things, everything's become about the brain. And that's why I spent a bit of time elaborating at the beginning of this interview on the difference between the mind and the brain. They are not the same. It's three different things. And the, what works for the physical brain and body isn't necessarily the best approach for the mind. So prior to 40 years ago, we did look more holistically at humans. And what I mean by that is we would look at the human in the context of their life and consider the fact that, okay, someone is who's just lost a loved one or someone who's just experienced some major trauma, it's natural for them to feel levels of anxiety and depression. And these are natural responses to adverse circumstances and let's support in a as holistically as possible. And that is like really, you know, gut instinct, what everyone thinks we're doing, but that's not actually what's been translated in when it comes to what we're currently doing in the, in the current models, even though it may be happening in a you know, at home on with small things, but we've the, the the language and the conversation has shifted dramatically because of the philosophy shift. And the philosophy shift has gone from looking at this person in the environment and the impact of life to seeing a person's responses to the impact of life as being symptoms of a disease. So whereas 40, 50, 60 years ago, if you were depressed, it wasn't seen as a symptom of a disease. It was seen as a signal or something going on, a normal response to an adverse circumstance. Let's look at the context. Let's analyze, et cetera, et cetera. Let's look at the whole person. It's about the cause. Let's give them the support they need, et cetera. Now that side, there are a lot of people granted that still do that. But the majority of the, the, the actual philosophical approach to mental health now is one of let's look at let's look at your that at, at how you're functioning as a symptom of a disease. So instead of it being a signal or information or a response of a life circumstance, it shifted to a symptom of a disease. That works beautifully with something like type one diabetes or cardiovascular issues or autoimmune deficiencies or whatever disease of the physical brain and body. It does not work well when someone has gone through extensive abuse or is getting bullied daily at school or is having to deal with a parent's breakup or whatever the case may be. Poverty, racism, you name it. Um, that does, you can't just take, it's, it's some, let's say that there's six people sitting in front of you and I, and they all say, they've all been labeled with clinical depression. And let's say that three of those are kids and three are, uh, two are adolescents, one adult, just, just to give you whatever. And they've all been labeled with clinical depression. And they've all been put on a similar medication. And maybe, maybe, 30% of them, so two out of the six have had some sort of therapy if they've managed to get find someone that they can even afford therapy or some kind of counseling or something. The problem here is that these six different people of different ages sitting in front of you and I, and they've got the same label. But if you start talking to each of them, maybe person number one was abused for years 
and he's then had got landed up in the foster system and has landed up you know very depressed because they just never had any kind of stability and they were also abused. So not only have they been had a label of clinical depression, but they've got a whole bunch of labels, ADHD and maybe even you know schizophrenia because maybe their their abuse was so extreme that their mind cracked and they started showing very extreme symptoms of a of a broken mind. But they are labeled with a clinical depression and the the, the the disease of clinical depression and the disease of schizophrenia, which is wrong. Then they they say that how do you, how can you subsume that huge ten years maybe or twelve years of a child's life into just one label? And then the person next to them's also got the same labels, but they're an adult who's gone through something else, and it's a huge life story. And they got they were in a war, they were in yet uh, they were a, a, a vet from Afghanistan or something, and they had saw such terrible things yeah. and. Their, their mind broke and, and so on. And I can go on and describe. So in other words, we're going to have hours and hours of storytelling in the sense of what each person's narrative is. How can I take all six of those narratives and just shove them into a single label? I have not, I have dishonored and invalidated the hugeness and the complexity of each individual human sitting in front of us. Okay, you, I think you guys get my point. So here, the current model does that, though. The current model says, okay, person number one, let's look at your symptoms. Okay, you've got that diagnosis. And there's the medication. It's assumed that it's the same as, as something like type 1 diabetes, which has as its biological cause problems with insulin because the pancreas has issues, right. there's problems with the pancreas, and therefore they target a drug at the pancreas. It sounds like they're doing the same thing. Oh, clinical depression is the same as type 1 diabetes. Oh, there's a problem in the brain, problem in the in pancreas. Oh, give an antidepressant. Oh, give insulin. But they are worlds apart. The one works beautifully for type 1 diabetes. It's physical. We've got tests. We can see it. We've got science and evidence proving that. The other one is we do not have any scientific evidence that there is an underlying neurobiological cause or a chemical imbalance causing that ADHD or that that that, that those those the so-called labels but they're actually descriptions of of how a person is showing up um schizophrenia etc it's it's can't you cannot subsume the complexity of life into a simple label but that's what we've done for the last 40 years so if you have that philosophy and add to that that philosophy added to the normal challenges of life and that's in the, in the midst of what we're facing is technology and things like the pandemic which we can't say is worse or better than any other generation's difference but it's still something we challenge we're facing but if you change the philosophy and say the way to manage how we're responding is as a disease there's a lot of mix-up in, in people's thinking there's this illogic happening here yeah. because you can't say that that child is um has 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 um who's got isolated in during the COVID pandemic and didn't get in, in enough contact with other people and so on or that adult whatever huge it creates isolation increases onto cardiovascular illness by 50%. Isolation leads to all kinds of other illnesses in the body, et cetera. We know that. We can't just say that that person has clinical depression. There is an isolation factor here that's related to life circumstances. So my point, if we label, I have a whole chapter in the book and how to help your child team at their mental mess, a whole chapter on this concept of labels, on this concept of why we have this current mental health crisis. I don't believe it's a mental health crisis because of disease. Yeah. I believe it's a mental health crisis, nor do I believe it's a mental health crisis because of COVID or because it's all because of um, uh, social media or mm. technology or AI. Those are just confounding factors that we 
have to face and deal with. But what I believe that the crisis has come from a mismanagement of mind. We have moved away from the human experience. We've moved away from allowing ourselves to process our stories and giving us ourselves and our children tools to be able to process through the pain and then get to the on the other side. And well, that's massive. And I've gone on long about this, but it's very critical because most parents that are listening to this podcast, if they've got a child who's been battling or they've been battling, most likely have been given a label and most likely been told they have to be on that medication for the rest of their life or that that label is a disease of the brain. When it's disproved, not good science and actually dishonors and has increased the stigma. And one more thing we see from this approach which in the, from the mid-90s studies have been done tracking this approach and it's actually caused an increase in people dying from preventable lifestyle diseases, um, eight to, eight, people dying 8 to 25 years younger than they should from preventable lifestyle diseases. Number one. Number two, we are getting, we have for the first time in history, children are actually battling more with their mental health than adults. If you look at the global mm. surveys that are done, global nationwide, not nationwide, um, global-wide of all, all countries across the world. I think, first of all, I, I think this is so important, and I, I not because you didn't clarify this, I just want to say this as, again, what, what Doc is not saying, and this is why it's important, she's been in this field for, you know, 40 years, she's done research, she's seen patients, she doesn't take any of this cavalierly. She doesn't take any of this uh, not seriously. Matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. So sometimes when you first hear of an approach like this, it can almost be hard to hear because it can be like, you know, are you saying I don't have ADD? Are you see, miss people misunderstand this? Are you saying this because they've been so married to this label? And I see this in, in my own practice. People become so identified, even like even though it is sometimes a, a biological underpinning, whether it's you know type one diabetes as you example as you use it as an example. But that still doesn't mean that they can't make improvements and there's not areas of their lifestyle. But when we've handed over this our agency to some outside again, whether it's and again you're right. I think you bring up an interesting point. It's easier to just. Uh, blame. These are real things, like you said, factors. But we say, oh, it was because of COVID, or because of social media, or because of uh, tech technology, or because of food today, and because those are all real. I'm not, I'm not denying any of those. But, but we are unable to move forward. And if the only proposed solution is a label and a pill for the rest of my life, and we now again, like you said, we've been doing this long enough that we can actually see, hey, did it work? And unfortunately, not only are the studies, and I think this would surprise some people, and we won't dwell on this, but even the studies that have been done on uh, treating, quote, mental illness with, you know, medications have been, if anything, very very poor, very poor outcomes, not interesting. People might be surprised to find out that they're actually, uh, you know, and many times these are all just theories that they've tried to manipulate with the chemicals and, and to try to get some sort of effect. But of course, like you said, not deal with the underlying cause and issue. And so I just want people to understand, Doc has deep empathy for your struggle. That's the point. That's why she does this work. That's why she's on this podcast. That's why I brought her, you know, wanted her on here is so she can speak a, a new, per, a, not a new perspective, but a wisdom perspective that, that looks at you or your child as a whole person and as, a, as, as, as the experiences that you have and honoring you to do that. The other way is actually very harmful. Part of my hope for this would be you would actually be a little bit upset at maybe how you've been treated or cared for, not to be caused trauma, but to say, oh my gosh, that, that, that should have been done a different way. So that being said, Doc, how do we start to take control, if that's the word, or, or how do we start to manage our minds in a healthy way? And I know you're not talking about you know, weird, weird, new agey stuff, whatever the terms people want to use. I know you're talking scientific. These are real things. These are not just some 
crazy techniques to try to fool your body. Like you're talking about really helping people manage and control and, and that might not be the right word, but what are some things that we can begin to do that can really help us or, and our children? Absolutely. Well, just to, and, and thank you for yeah. emphasizing that point. I want to also jump in and emphasize that if anything, this approach is more validating. The research has actually shown that the stigma has increased around mental health with this, uh, the biomedical model approach, the neuroreductionistic approach. And so in, it's, when someone's really been battling for a long time and they get a label like, oh, this is now I understand. Yeah. I've got clinical depression. This is why I am. Or this is why my child can't concentrate. So, we, so in other words, if anything, the initially it seems like a great gift but if you open it's an empty gift because where does it take you next it's also what we call a circular reasoning or tautology because then they'll say well why do i have clinical depression oh because you have these symptoms but why do i have those symptoms because you have clinical depression right, right. and you're going to so that's not healthy so what i am saying and what you what doctor what you, you know, you've emphasized what we are saying is that actually we want to validate you more we don't want to invalidate you this is this problem what you are going through is much bigger than a label and labeling and just medicating is actually reducing it as opposed to um, giving it the attention that it deserves and that which means time to actually analyze and understand and and go through the whole process of embracing processing and reconceptualizing which takes time i mean if i look at my practice when i ran my practice i would work with i would work with um a team. If someone came in with an issue, adult or child, I would work the, with the, the whole family, with the teachers, with doctor, other doctors, with other professionals. It would take us hours, hours of interaction. We would never just label. So instead of seeing depression as a label or as a disease, you can ha have the word depression, but see it as a or anxiety. See that as an emotional warning signal. This now this goes to answer your question directly. Yeah. What can you do? What is the first thing that you can do? Take that label of clinical depression or schizophrenia or anxiety disorder or ADHD or whatever, which are the most sort of common ones that are kind of out there, and say see that as not as a label, not as who you are, but a description of how you are actually showing up in your life because of something that's going on or has been going on. Now, that is a total different shift. One is descriptive and takes context and life into experience. Other one is just simply a label and saying it's a disease. So that's not even science. If it worked, we, would be, we wouldn't have it. If that model worked, yeah. we wouldn't be sitting with a we're sitting with now would be sitting you know if something doesn't work you don't continue it yet somehow in the mental health world we've continued doing something that we've shown for a long time does not actually work so what we want to do is get the human experience back into the process so we all show up in certain ways every single day and we can look at the way we show up in four categories so like in this conversation now you and i are showing up in four ways we we have emotions at play we have bodily sensations at play we have behaviors at play we have perspectives let me break that down we're both very passionate about so that's a very strong emotion emotion that's happening in this conversation. The, the, um, my, I, I don't know about you, but my whole body's so involved. I'm so like my whole body, I'm sitting up straight. Yeah. My shoulders are quite tense. And it, because this is so important, so my whole body's engaged. My um, my um, perspective is that this is that this is so vitally important that I need to be uh, get this through. I need to get this concept through. So I'm very driven in my perspective of this is so important. And then in terms of behaviors, what am I saying? 
saying, what am I doing? How am I saying it? How am I doing it? I'm speaking with as much clarity as I can, trying to give as many explanations, et cetera, et cetera. So in other words, I've just analyzed my behavior in this conversation. Let's take a child who's showing up at school. They're not con- they're not a- they're not able to pay attention. They're sitting on their chair, wiggling, not getting their work completed. So there's two, there's behaviors. What do they do? They're wiggling. They're not completing their work. Let's just simplify this. Emotions, frustration. Perspective, I hate school. Bodily sensation, constant sore stomachs. See what I'm doing? So in other words, the first thing that we need to do is tell ourselves that this is not who my child is. This is not who I am. These labels simply fall into one of four categories. So depression and anxiety are an emotional signal, two emotional signals. Other emotional signals are jealousy, frustration, anxiety, and, and the panic, um, uh, whatever. There's thousands of emotions, okay? The second thing is behavior, wiggling, whatever, so behavior is the second group of signals, what we say and what we do. The third group of signals is everything's embodied. Remember I said at the beginning, as you experience something, it goes into your mind, brain, and body. So when we have a sore stomach consistently related to being scared of going to school because you're battling with math because you were teased or whatever the cause is, then you know that the emotion and the behavior become embodied. So that frustration and that battling at school is linked to the sore stomach. They're all linked to each other. And that then affects the perspective, the outlook, I hate school. So these four categories of signals can break down into a lot of detail. But what I have shown in terms of empowering ourselves and our children to help themselves is this begins with us, as I said, and I'm going to start it again, this begins with us um, setting the stage. And setting the stage is this is not who I am. This is how I'm showing up. So therefore, ADHD could be um, would, be, would fall under the category of behavioral signals. And attention deficit hyperactivity, take the disorder out. So backing with attention, backing with hyperactivity, backing with um, what attention, uh, hyperactive attention deficit disorder, whatever. I've got, I've got myself muddled up there. You to take down each of ADHD, attention, hyperactive, and hyper, but basically attention and hyperactivity, okay? And so you, you describe that attention, but what does that attention look like? Can they pay attention at home? Is it specific subjects? Is it, so you've got to take each element as a description and break it down and break it down and break it down, as opposed to just taking a big name like an umbrella and saying, that's it. It's not it. What is it actually? So ADHD is, would fall under a behavioral signal. Depression would fall under an emotional signal. Um, constantly having um, gut ache is, is, is very real. Behavioral signal. The mind works through the brain and the body. If you're consistently being bullied at school or consistently going through something in a chronic way, your body is suffering. We, we, it's very established and a lot of the research I do is very established in, is in this field that chronic unmanaged toxic stress will lead to physical and mental problems. Um, same with chronic unmanaged Early, early childhood experiences, your ACE scores produces physical problems and mental and, and, and mind challenges. In other words, because the mind works through the brain and the body, of course the brain and the body will get disrupted. And yes, disease states can begin, but that's not the cause. That's the, that is the result of. Now, sure, we can have a situation where there's a, a vitamin B deficiency and a vitamin sure. D deficiency and all these things, which is the area you also work in. And those are contributing factors that could be causative in increasing the depression, but they could also just be result of. Yeah. Most of the time, it's sort of a mixture of. What we need to be careful of saying 
saying is that my child has ADHD because their brain is not neurotypical. It's smaller than other brains because that's what the doctor said. Well, that research is not even, it's been totally and utterly disproved. And so therefore you telling your child or the doctor's telling you that your child is something that is actually not real. What is real is your child's backing to pay attention. Your, your child's very active at, sc- active at school. They're backing to get their work finished. They're fighting with their friends. In other words, what is the real problem? Now let's have a look. Then you have to say, okay, that's how they're showing up. Then why? And then let's start, you know, let's let's go through this very clearly. Let's gather awareness of what these four signals are. Then let's start saying why. Let's start getting some description attached to it. In fact, let's write that description down. Let's get very specific. Let's write down what are, what how can I break down each of those signals into the sub-signals and add sentences to that so that I can get detail here. Then I can look at what I've written and I can say, well, now what's the pattern? What's the trigger? What is going on here? What what this seems to be pointing to the situation. I'm seeing a pattern here and, and what's the potential? This has happened. What can I do about it? And then you can start an action. Okay, this seems to be related to my child is battling in math only and it's it, it's become so bad. So if they've been fine in, in the other subjects and they can sit at home and, and read a book and pay attention at home, obviously that's, that's situation related. And because they're falling behind in math, obviously it's compounding. So I need to address this. Why is it only happening in math? I'm just giving an example. Mm-hmm. But you can see what I'm doing. It's a whole process of breaking down. Now, I actually just described the neurocycle. The neurocycle is the system that I developed that is a mind-directed neuroplasticity technique. So when you do these five steps that have been very, very intensively researched over years, what they're doing is it's I want to find how does something get into the mind, brain, body, and how does it land up being these networks and how can I reverse engineer, how can I recognize them and reverse engineer them? So I found that there were five basic stages that we go through in building sorts and we can then reverse engineer those five basic stages to fix if it's a toxic thing. What I first initially did was develop the five steps to help people to learn. So the traumatic brain injured patient, they need to rebuild their brain. So the neurocycle has a whole aspect where you can build your brain, where you use those five steps to make sure that you wire it into that psychoneurobiological network properly. So the neurocycle is how you get stuff into your brain and turn it into a habit that is good for you, that you can use, that's going to impact your life and help you. The neurocycle can also be used to find how you are, um, how you showing up, as I've described with the example of a child's school. And then you can work backwards, say, okay, what are those signals showing me? Through going through the five steps, finding the root cause, the roots of that thought tree, and all the details, which are the memories, and saying, pulling it apart and saying, okay, well, how can I reconstruct this? How can I heal this root? I can't change what's happened because that's happened, but I can heal the roots so I can grow a healthier tree. You can't eliminate the tree. You can't eliminate what's happened, but you can redesign, reconceptualize and look at it differently. For a child with ADHD as a label, now we turn it into a description, it's going through the process I've described. And then that may require that that child needs extra math lessons to catch up on the time loss. And we need to find out why specifically is it happening only in math and and whatever, you know, whatever the situation, that's what that's the sort of work that I would do when I was practicing with when I was still practicing. And that's what I've translated into this book to help a parent. Because what I would do in my practice was empower the child and empower the parents that you were on for life on a professional. There are not enough professionals to walk you through this 
hand by hand. So what I want, the reason I wrote this book was to give this information to parents that they would know, okay, my child's come home from school, they're changing, they, they're withdrawing, they're in their room, whatever's going on that's upsetting, that, that, that's, that's creating a situation that's, that's con- of concern, this is how you can start. You can create, um, I've got it down to a point where I even advise you to have an area in your home, like maybe paint a, a, one of your walls that's blank, with a chalkboard paint mm. and put a little bench in a chair and put a little you know, a, a toy box full of crayons. And if you buy this book, and I even have a toy, a, there's, throughout the book I have a character called Brainy that we've created. So there's a lot, he appears as a cartoon throughout the book. And so all the, the to, like to teach your child how to do the four signals, how to do the five steps of the neurocycle, how to talk to a child about trauma, all of it's, all, it's written, obviously, to the parent and then what you can say to the child and then you've got the character brain you're going through all these scenarios so a child who's not yet reading or whatever age you can use the, the cartoon character to help walk the mental health journey and teach them the new the neurocycle which is their superpower for helping them understand why they feel like this and how they can then fix their brain and, and move forward in a more positive way and it begins with the parent helping themselves you know parents if your child's consistently coming home with all these issues it can be very difficult if you've got multiple, you know, lots of children or more than one child, even one child and you're working and life, I mean, just life, it can, we get reactive, we get mad, we get frustrated. So we can work on our own reactivity. Mm. The more authentic we are, the more we help our children. And I often get asked, for this mental health crisis, what would be the very, 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 Mm. very, very first thing? And the very, very, very first thing would be is that teach parents to understand what the mind and the brain is and how to do a neurocycle. Because if you know how to manage your mind, you can come in from the day, yell and do all these things that you know you shouldn't do and go into parent guilt and just make it worse. Or you can walk in the door, make all the mistakes and say, oh gosh, okay, I'm sorry. This is how, and you can go through a neurocycle out loud with your kids, which is authentic, showing them, okay, I also as an adult don't always have it together, but I have a way of understanding and my impact and apologizing and I can work through. I'm not just going to suppress this or let it get worse. I'm actually going to sit down with you and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to yell at you. I said things I should not have said. I was frustrated. You can literally walk through a neurocycle with your child. Ben, Dr. Ben, the our children pick up our anxiety and our stress and mm. our so the the less authentic we are, the more you're going to confuse your child. The more open you are, and the more you explain, I'm I'm sorry, I'm back into it. I actually just need mm. the space. This is why a simple little one 30 second neurocycle walking. You're giving your child the tools to tell the story, and you're modeling that for them. So that's a big bird's eye view. And in the book, it's very detailed with lots of, it's very simplistically written, as you would have seen, with lots of examples. And as I said, we've got the, we've even got a coloring book with Brainy with different scenarios. We've got the Brainy toy, all kinds of things to help you help yourself oh. manage your mental health and child. And, and Doc, I'm so thankful. I know, uh, I know, sake of time, you have to run. I want a couple things here. I want to make sure they, so how the book is, is just about to be released. Um, so you, if you're, when you hear this, um, the book will, will not be out. It comes out. Is it August 8th, August 7th? Am I right? Yes. Okay. August 8th, you can right. pre-order it though. They can pre-order. Absolutely. There's lots of great pre-order specials, like the little brainy toy and the coloring book. There's a big discount on that. And there's a free back to school seminar, how to manage the anxiety and stress around that and prepare kids for, you know, for that. There's a okay. few other pre-order books. And you, well. you have, I know you're very generous with your, um, with your information. You also have a podcast, you have YouTube channels. What is the best way for people to follow you, to stay up to, you know, stay in, 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 in touch with you in a sense and, and watching and learning from you? 
Absolutely. Well, Dr. Caroline Leaf is my social media handle, so it's always a good place to start. I put up posts every day like most of us do that are really helpful, little reels and things. I'm on TikTok, I'm on Facebook. My uh, 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 webpage is drleaf.com. My podcast is called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Um, it's in the, in the top few, okay. it's right up there in the health sphere, so it's easy to find. I, I want to I'll give you the final word, but I just want to let our, our patients know, or the people listening to know this. I know this is as Doc was saying, life is not, gosh, I want to pick my words here, but you know, life is, is by, by design, we're all on this journey. We're going to have ups and downs. We're going to have valleys. We're going to have mountaintop experiences. We're going to go through struggles. We're going to have loss and tragedy. That's, that's the normal human experience. That's not a disease. Now, many of us have just put this on the back burner. We've gotten distracted in life. We've gotten consumed by other things that the, the life we all that many of us live, and, and I'm not justifying that, and I'm not even demonizing that. I just mean it's the reality. Here's the point. It's worth taking, or here's my point. It's worth taking time and equipping us with some of these tools that Doc is talking about that she's invested her life's work into to help us know how to manage these times and give us skill sets. It's no different than if I, I need to learn how to brush my teeth and take care of myself, or I should know some d- decent things about nutrition so I can nourish my body. It's good to take care of my, my, my physical body, like meditate, you know, prayer, your, your spiritual life, all these things matter. This is one that for the most part has been left on the back burner because it got relegated to pills, potions, and lotions. Now we need to take that back. And you've given us the tools and, and, and resources to do that. It might take some work. So don't buy this book. Don't think you've, because you listen to this podcast, that you've gotten to the bottom of it, right? That it's, that, oh, all I got to do is just think better things and it'll all be better now. No, 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 no. There's going to be some tools. There's going to take some time to, to get to this, but you're worth it. Your children are worth it. And you may have been upside down for, you might have had stinking thinking for 30 years. Or you had trauma that is unspeakable that you should never have had to go through, but you did. And it's going to take some work, some time, some effort, and, and, and that's different for everybody. So this is just an opportunity to be exposed to a whole, a whole other way, but a way that is scientific, that is valid, that is, uh, that is true. And so final thoughts for our listeners, Doc, as you got to jump on to your next, your next uh, work here. Well, I would say that we've got to stop pathologizing childhood and medicalizing misery and that we anxiety, depression, these are normal good, healthy emotions when they're on a balance. Think of a balancing scale. So you've got two, the scale in the middle thing and you've got the two little things on the side. Think of your emotions in there being balanced. Now, a little bit of depression and anxiety is very good to keep you on your toes, to help you with empathy, to experience the ups and downs of life, which is so normal. The problem is if we don't manage our mind at the scale tips and that's when the anxiety and depression and things can become overwhelming. But with mind management, you can get the scale back back again and that's what's really important. So let's stop sort of childhood and medicalizing misery and and tune into a life of mind management which makes up brings so much peace amen well thank you for your your work thank you for staying in the game and giving these tools to people and uh, we're so thankful for your time today doc excited to have your book out there it will help so many people we just appreciate you so much thank you god bless thank you so much thank you for great questions i enjoyed the interview If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, give us a five-star review and share it with your tribe. To learn more about Dr. Ben's work, visit AchieveWellness.clinic.